Hey, good morning, church. My name is Matthew. I'm the parish pastor here on the east side. It is good to be with you today. It's good to be back in this space. I wish that I was looking at your faces instead of at cameras, but all the same, um, I'm glad that we're moving in the right direction. So um, we're going to be starting a series, as Jenny mentioned today, that's going to be a bit of a deviation for us. We're going to be studying, uh, we're going to be letting a book, uh, other than the Bible or the Book of Common Prayer, guide our lectionary text for the next two um, months. And so today we're going to be reading from the book of 1 Samuel. I'm going to read chapters 15, verses 10 to 24, and then we'll pray and then share some thoughts with you. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. Samuel was angry and cried out to the Lord all night. Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, and Samuel was told, Saul went to Carmel, where he set up a monument for himself. And on returning, he passed on down to Gilgal. When Samuel came to Saul, Saul said to him, Uh, May you be blessed by the Lord. I have carried out the command of the Lord. But Samuel said to him, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of cattle that I hear? And Samuel or Saul said, Well, they have brought them down from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But the rest we have utterly destroyed. And then Samuel said to Saul, Stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. He replied, Speak. And Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go, utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why, then, did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But from the spoil, the people took sheep and cattle, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obedience to the voice of the Lord? Surely to obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is no less a sin than divination, and stubbornness is like iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. And Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Um, Lord, thank you for the chance to stand here today and for us to be gathered even virtually in our homes. Lord, thank you that you are not limited by time or space. Thank you that your spirit is as present in this space right now as it is in the houses of those who are watching this. Come, Holy Spirit. We pray that as we hear... Your words today, Lord, our hearts would burn within us and that we would feel drawn to Jesus. We ask, God, that you would uh, transcend the distance that divides us and unite us as one, that we would, as we just sang, that we would see ourselves as belonging to one another, citizens of another kingdom, 
living out the ethics and the principles of that kingdom on this world, even as, as this world becomes unraveled. We pray for the grace to hear from you today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, um, I got into an argument this week with a family member over text about politics. Really, it was about race. And um, this family member shared something with me that was an article and some some thoughts on sort of their take on this cultural moment that we're living in. And it it rubbed up against my take on the cultural moment that we're living in. And one of the things that I think is good about the season that we are in right now is that people who previously would have chosen to remain silent, to keep the peace, as it is, uh, have chosen instead to speak. The words of Dr. King ring in our hearts with a little bit more edge right now, where he famously said, there comes a time where silence is betrayal. I knew that there were areas where this family member and myself where we conflicted on some ideas. Um, but we always had just sort of like, you know, smoothed it over. It had never been a huge deal. We'd always found a way to just like maybe say a little thing, but just like move past it. And that's the sort of posture I've tried to hold for most of my life. Just this like peacemaking, let's, let's not rock the boat. There's no reason to say anything inflammatory. There's no reason to do anything that could potentially create conflict. Let's figure out how to walk the line but this doesn't feel like that moment anymore. This doesn't feel like the time we're living in. This, honestly, that's never been the time we were living in. So not this week. This week I decided to respond and I shared some thoughts. Um, I feel like many of you, I think, energized by the events going on in our country, specifically around race and the call for justice, the cry that enough is enough. I feel energized by it, and whereas in the past I would have tried to smooth it over or maybe say something that was socially acceptable, but like, you know, intelligent, and, and I don't, if I don't know what to do, we just throw in a Dr. King quote, because everyone likes Dr. King, at least uh, when he's not talking about economics. And so as long as we're sort of, you know, like using some of the, 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 the more vanilla, milquetoast stuff, we're all fine, we can all agree. I've been hesitant to say things in the past like Black Lives Matters because I didn't want to be... Uh, pigeonholed into some sort of a political movement. I've been reticent to use language like white supremacy because I knew that it would communicate more than I was trying to communicate to it. I was trying to speak to the idea of a thing instead of all the freight that goes with it. And so I've chosen to do the easy thing and to be quiet. And part of what we're living in now is no longer that moment. Part of the reckoning that you and I are living in right now is the need uh, to recognize that part of the violence, the wounding that has happened from centuries of racial injustice and oppression in our country, part of the reckoning is how our silence has been a part of that wounding, has been a part of that violence. I don't want to be ambiguous anymore. I don't want to be hyper um, uh, afraid. I don't want to be overly cautious. I want to be wise and truthful and bold and loving. But here's why I'm telling you that story. It's not because look at what I did. I spoke up and isn't that great. I'm telling you that story because what was happening inside my heart during that exchange was a, was a train wreck. My insides were on fire. What ended up happening was I ended up sending texts qu quicker than I could think through them. 
responding rapidly and at times uh, getting my feelings bruised and retreating into a corner and playing a passive-aggressive, ghosting this person for hours on end. I was growing frustrated and angry. I would stew over it long after the thing went on. I don't think that I said anything that I necessarily regret, but I am not proud of how I was here. I'm not proud of what was going on in me. I just managed to control it a little bit. My insides were a bit of a dumpster fire. When we talk about emotionally healthy spirituality, we are talking about becoming the sort of people who recognize that their emotions are as much a part, maybe even the primary driving factor in determining who we are, what we do, how we even think. When we talk about becoming emotionally healthy people, we are not talking about an auxiliary discipleship issue. We're talking about something that is actually shaping in every way the kind of people who will step into a cultural moment like the one we're living in right now. Pete Cazero, the starter of this ministry out of his own church in Queens, New York, years ago, actually sent an email out to many of us this week who subscribed to his podcast and so on, explaining that actually it was was the racial tension and their inability to bridge these these hard and difficult divides in their own church in Queens. A, a very diverse, multiracial, multi-ethnic, multi-language church in Queens, New York. It was, it was their frustration and tension and inability to actually engage and bridge these difficult divides that led them to the creation and the formation of this material. Until you and I do the work to grow and mature emotionally, we can do all the right things. We can do all the right spiritual things. We can go to church and be involved in community and read our Bible and pray. We can do all the right active things. We can fight for justice. We can care for the environment. We can protest. We can do all the things. But until you and I grow maturely, uh, emotionally, we're always going to be cut short by our capacity. And so today what we're doing is we're beginning a study that will go through the month of July This is, to my knowledge, the longest break Trinity has ever taken from the lectionary, which I hope communicates to you how important we think this is. Not some sort of new thing that we're going to suddenly start leaving the lectionary all the time and um, abandon it entirely. Not at all. We believe that this is utterly important for our church, and it might be comforting for you to know that before any of this happened, the Eastside leadership team went away in January to pray and to dream with one another, and when we came back, we determined that there were three things that we wanted to do this year that felt like God had laid them on our heart, and this was one of those things. And so when a week or two later we were back here in Atlanta talking to the Westside leadership team, we were delighted to discover that independent of us and completely outside of our knowledge, they had come to the exact same conclusion. In January, none of us knew what was going to happen in March. None of us knew what was going to happen in May. But the Holy Spirit did and was preparing our church for a moment like this so that we can step into this work. And I'm hoping that you'll join me in it. I'm hoping you'll be in a group and you'll do the hard work of unpacking these ideas and principles because this stuff really matters. You and I will never become the kind of people we want to be and that the world desperately needs and that my black brothers and sisters need me to be and my children and my neighbors and my wife and my colleagues and my friends need me to be until I become an emotionally mature person. Because, as Pete Scazzaro says, it is impossible to be spiritually mature without being emotionally mature. Every week we're going to have a different Bible text that's going to give us some principles that we can draw from. This week we're really just sort of setting the stage and setting it up by looking at, first of all, the problem of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. And Saul is 
Um, well, he's a, he's a good person to, to do that study from. And then throughout the week, our groups will be meeting, and I hope you'll find some people to do this with. We'll be reading a chapter of a book, The Emotion Healthy Spirituality by Peace Cazero, and doing some workbook work with one another and going deeply into things like, how is my past still affecting my present and my future? What does it mean for me to push through dark seasons in my life? How do I become the sort of person who creates rhythms in my life and structures in my life that reinforces the sort of things that I want to be growing internally? Now, if you're listening to me talk about this and you're saying, this doesn't sound like fun, I would just say, it isn't fun. Growing mature is not fun. Becoming better people is not fun. We don't do it because it's easy or fun. We do it it's be- because it is love. We do it because the greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And I cannot love my neighbor as myself until I do the work to grow internally, to become a solid and grounded person. We do it because it is what it means to follow Jesus. You and I are living through two simultaneous historical moments right now. Moments that will most likely be in the pages of history books yet to be published. We want to be in this moment vigilant. I know you do. Think about the moments in history that we have read about, that some of you have lived through. We look back on those moments and we always ask the same question. Who was I in that moment? What was I doing? What was I aware of? We want to be in this moment vigilant, clear-minded, sober-minded, compassionate, loving, grounded, rooted in love, motivated by love. And instead, so many of us, uh, so many of us feel right now anchorless. We feel apathetic. We feel reactive. Rather than being rooted and grounded in anything, we just sort of feel like we're sort of floating. If we feel motivated by anything, it's fear. We carry around the past pain of our lives having never actually processed it. Wondering why we've had so many jobs end the same way. Wondering why we've had so many relationships have the same dysfunction in them. Wondering why we're as bad at handling money as our parents were. Like wondering why these things continue to follow us through our life no matter what we do. It's because we haven't done the work to dig deep and to ask God to grow us emotionally. There are reasons for the way you are. Those reasons live within us, in our heart. And they need to be unpacked and opened with the help of the Holy Spirit, repented of, examined, and healed. And so I invite you to spend the summer with me doing this. It's not like you have anything else to do. No one's going anywhere. <laughs> we might as well do this, right? We might as well come out of this with stronger hearts. Our text today is just illustrative of a person who on the surface had everything together, but underneath the surface was emotionally immature. King Saul was a person who started out so strong, attractive, mighty in battle, a conqueror, a prophet, uh, humble. He was everything that you wanted in a king. He was tall. He was, he was great. He was, he was proud. He was everything you wanted in a king. But all of it came undone shortly after he was given the throne. It didn't take long to discover that under Saul's impressive exterior was a fragile ego, a quick temper, a fear of people being disappointed with him. And rather than Saul using his weakness as an opportunity to lead him to God, to strengthen him, which is what weakness is meant for, what Saul did with it is he tried to cover for it. 
He tried to look important. He tried to manage his image. He has his kingdom taken from him in this text after many other events where he has failed. Um, His character has failed. But it's going to be a long time before he actually leaves, uh, leaves the throne. King Saul is going to die many, many years from now. A miserable, bitter, paranoid, touchy old man. King Saul's life is a warning call to you and me. This is what happens when we focus on the doing, on the exteriors, and not on the interiors. So today, what I want to do just briefly in the few minutes we have left, I want to share with you the 10 symptoms of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. And these won't all necessarily apply to you. They may not all feel relevant to you. But I'm just going to go through them pretty quickly. And then when you read the chapter in the book, you'll get a much deeper dive into these things. And we'll talk about these in our groups this week. But here they are. 10 symptoms, 10 signs that you and I might be emotionally um, unhealthy. One, using God to run from God. In our scripture, it appears that Saul uh, clearly disobeys the word of God. He's not walking in the way that he's supposed to, and yet he covers it by talking about sacrifices to God, by trying to bring together the, 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 the spoil that he wasn't supposed to take, to look like a religious person, a person who has zeal. He covers it with talk of sacrifice. Some ways that I know that I'm using God to run from God are when I look really busy in the church, when I'm really active in spiritual things, but I'm not... <laughs> but I'm not actually listening to the Holy Spirit. When maybe you wouldn't even be able to tell what was actually going on in my own heart, in my own life. When I exaggerate my accomplishments for God to subtly compete with others. When I use Scripture to justify sinful parts of my family, culture, and nation instead of evaluating them under the Lordship of Jesus. When I hide behind God talk and deflect any spotlight on my inner cracks when I apply biblical truth selectively to suit my purposes. These are all ways that I can actually run from God um, by using him. The second is ignoring the emotions of anger and sadness and fear. So many of us believe that these things are negative, that they're wrong. Anger and sadness and fear are negative, and so we should run from them. But whoever said that they were negative... (laughs) I was just thinking about this this week. Like, what if we just began to imagine that anger and sadness and even fear could be positive? Like, they could move us in a good direction. Rather than being regressive emotions, they could be progressive. They could be used and empowered by the Holy Spirit to actually do a thing in me that needs to happen. Instead, we cover these things up. We act like they're not there. We're afraid to admit to each other and to God just how sad or scared we feel. And because of that, we're not able to actually be whole and integrated people. We live bifurcated on the inside. The third is dying to the wrong things. Um, this is, as Pete describes it, a person who, who even dies to the, the good things in their life, who thinks that actually what some sort of maturity is, is being miserable, that what we're supposed to be doing is actually not enjoying life. It's like, no, no, we're supposed to be dying to the, the wicked parts within us and living into the good things. You are meant to enjoy life. You're meant to have a good life. When Jesus says, I came to have life and have it abundant, I came to give them life and that they may have it abundantly, he was not being facetious. He was not actually saying abundance is actually misery. He was saying there is a way for you and me to have a life that is deeply enjoyable, probably far more enjoyable than the life that you and I are leading right now. The fourth is denying the past impact on the present. We're going to look at this at length in a couple of weeks. 
For some of us, our past carries so much pain that we don't want to look at it. For some of us, our past carries so much pain that we can't look at it because we don't remember it. And we don't want to try to go in there because we just imagine it has to be far darker than we would even uh, fear. Some of us can't remember. Some of us do remember. And what we do remember is hurtful. But as the book that came out a few years ago reminds us, the body keeps the score. So many of the things that plague us are actually, a, are actually the things that are coming out of our own heart and psyche on the inside. The fifth, dividing in our lives between uh, secular and sacred components. This is this idea that many of us do of sort of splitting our life up. So we have like the spiritual, the church side of me, and then we have the rest of me. And this is one of the reasons why we are struggling, especially in the evangelical church where this is so rampant. We are struggling so much to know how to live into this moment right now, specifically when it comes to a call for justice. And what does it mean to be proactive in that? It's because we have so broken ourselves into these compartments that we know how to pray for the right things. We know how to find the right passages in the Bible about it. We know how to do all sorts of things that have to do with me and God or me and the Holy Spirit. But when it comes to active on the ground, what does it mean to do a thing? And is that even what it means to be a Christian? And I'll just say to you unequivocally, yes, it is. You can care about justice and not be a disciple of Jesus, but you cannot be a disciple of Jesus and not care about justice. It's impossible. But because we have so split our lives up between the believing and the doing, we actually have, some of us, this belief that it really doesn't matter what we do as long as we believe the right things. The doing doesn't really matter. It's the believing that gets you into heaven. That's all that matters in the end. There is no way to read the teachings of Jesus and come to that conclusion. Zero. Our doing is as much a part of who we are and what we are actually believing. It's actually the evidence of what we're believing. We have to understand that we are an integrated whole. But when we divide ourselves between sacred and secular parts of our lives, we give ourselves permission and freedom in areas that's actually not freedom at all. It's actually a freedom to be in bondage. It's not what God's made us for. Six, doing for God instead of being with God. This is a huge problem for me, honestly. I find it far easier to be active and running than I find it to be calm and to be with the Lord. And yet, emotional health and spiritual health only comes through regular, consistent time with the Lord. Lingering time. Spiritualizing away conflict. As you and I step into real conflict in these days, like I did with this family member, you and I are going to have to figure out how not to spiritualize it away, but how to be fully, um, fully alert Followers of Jesus in the middle of it, who are compassionate and loving and kind, but truthful and bold. We can't spiritualize it away. Covering over brokenness, weakness, and failure, especially in our culture, which is constantly curating our life so that others can have a, a, a glimpse of it. We can show off what we're like. We have a hard time with this. We must be willing to uncover our brokenness, weakness, and our failure. Nine, living without limits. This is, another, this is no, another thing that is epidemic in our day and age. We just don't know when to stop. We don't live within healthy boundaries. We don't get enough sleep, most of us. We overeat. We overdrink. We overwork. We overplay. We overindulge. We overwatch. Living within limits is a part of maturity. And then finally, judging other people's spiritual journey, which is so easy for us to do, I think especially in a moment like this to sit on a high horse and be sanctimonious and self-righteous and look down our nose at other people. And all of these are evidences that something is wrong here. 
Not out there. Yeah, there's something wrong out there for sure. But Jesus said, before you start worrying about the speck in other people's eye, worry about the log that's in your own eye. Worry about your own heart. Loved ones, I want to give you, just in closing, this word. This feels like really heavy work. It kind of feels like if you're um, at the base of a mountain and you're not sure you have what it takes to climb it. You're not sure you have what you need to make it. And I just want to say, in your own strength, you don't. I don't. But I'm not supposed to. That's what the Holy Spirit is. That's what the body of Christ is, the community of God. You and I are invited to start walking up this mountain towards emotional health so that we can be the people that the world so deeply needs and demands right now, in this moment. We have to do it with one another. We have to do it in cooperation and participation with the Holy Spirit. I hope you'll do it with me. So let me pray for you. And then we're going to sing a song that is a prayer. And then we'll pray the Lord's Prayer together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the one who sanctifies our soul, that you are the one who makes us new creations. Lord, we want to become new creations internally so that we can live into what it means to be your people on the earth, your image bearer. So Jesus, we open ourselves to you and Holy Spirit, we give you free reign. We ask that you would please help us to see ourselves as you see us. God, there's probably a lot of pain that will be uncovered in the next few months from a number of people who are watching this right now. I just pray your protection over them, not protection from the pain, but from protection from despair in the pain. That they would know that with you there is always hope of resurrection. The final word is always life. So Jesus, we give you this season and we pray that you would lead us like a shepherd into your good purposes for us. In Christ's name. Amen. If you're able, would you stand? We're going to close by praying the Lord's Prayer with one another. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Grace and peace to you. You are loved. We will see you soon.